this just in. Okay, I'm recording. Scott well. has been found. Oh, did you guys have a? Uh, did you have an alert for people to come find me? Half of Montana is looking for you right now. Too oh, bad. So Eighty those, people are looking. Yeah, too bad. Too bad those people are all looking in Fallout or Fallout. Excuse me, Far Cry Five. I even oh. had Far Cry Five booted up looking for you, Scott. I appreciate it. It's May 6th, 2018. You're listening to Fancy Roman. I'm Neil. I'm Cookie. And I have returned. I am Scott. The, the prodigal Scott. son. That's Not right. The robot Scott. <laughs> robot Robot Scott uh, took place of me after he uh, knocked me out and abandoned me in the woods, but I found my way home. Have you guys seen Yay. the Bollywood movie named Robot? No. Mm. Same. How it's, much Bollywood do you watch, Neil? I wish I could say I know almost any Bollywood, but I really don't. Well, what got me on this kick was the video that are uh, the the animated GIF circulating on Reddit of a gentleman peeling a banana in the most intense way possible, only to be attacked by you know some mob guys or gang guys, and he proceeds to slice into people using the banana slit throats blood everywhere in the most fantastic way possible through cgi aka basically someone used a paint tool and just painted the red on people's necks pretty magical uh but after that i started to look into more of uh, what bollywood had to offer and boy do they have a lot to offer i'm trying to think if i have any relevant knowledge at all of bollywood of Bollywood. There is um Slumdog a, Millionaire. I mean, yeah, that's that's probably the only movie I know that has a predominantly Indian cast. I don't think it actually counts as Bollywood though, does it? You guys tell me. I'm not really sure. You're the one well, who's been doing all the, the Bollywood. Bollywood. <laughs> all I know is that every preview and promo I saw involving Bollywood recently did not have any like sort of realistic real life drama. Instead, it was crazy CGI giant snakes consuming tanks full of people only to be interrupted with footage of like a fucking musical dance number and a guy with a toupee that's apparently a robot. I know that dance numbers are a big part of Bollywood. And so I don't know. Um, yes. Okay. I do know one dance number from a Bollywood film called Rum Bum Bum. It's by Michael Madonna Kamarajan. And it's amazing. And it's worth looking up. It's Rum Bum Bum. I'll give you all a moment to uh, check it out. And then, Neil, you can pause for the audience to watch four minutes, 40 seconds of just pure ecstasy. Uh, Yeah. I I know you don't actually have to watch it, but it I'm is. Also going to uh, pass. I don't know why I like it so much, but I just think it's so so fun. I'll save um, this for later. There's yeah. only so much Bollywood one man can take in a given week. Speaking of weeks, though, uh, what have you guys been up to? Well, I can honestly say today's been kind of kind of a day, and I'm going to apologize, Neil. I was clipping a little bit in my um, earlier laughing. So I turned my mic down and now my levels are all kind of weird. But anyway, I'm sure that's, it's fine. That's for your editing for later. Um, but 
this weekend has been a weekend. First, Scott hit me up and was like, oh my God, Kanye. And then that I was, was like, actually, that was actually Neil, I think. Neil was, uh, wait, wait. I want to pull up the slack, but to Neil was virtue signaling that uh, he's like, well, it's a good thing I never liked Kanye anyway. Um, and Cookie had yet to hear the news about Kanye being wild and out. Yeah, man. Kanye, it's surprising that Neil was the woke one out of us. <laughs> out I just want to point us. out, it's not like I was trying to one-up you guys with it. It's just that I was happy I did not have to deal with the moral dilemma of liking Kanye's music w- along with him being like a super shitty person, basically. Wait, yeah, so, no, so I, you uh, have issues separating the artist from the art? I mean, we, we've talked about it before, and I think we all agree that it's okay to like someone's artwork or creations, but not like the person. But yeah, pretty much. It's just, it always boils down to a matter of like uh it, it's always like an individual case by case scenario right like there are people that don't go to alamo draft house because the owners of the alamo draft house basically have you know swept like sexual uh ar- sexual harassment and assault under the rug before but well now i damn it neil why do you tell me these things well the uh. the way i see it is did all of the people they're employing at the Omaha branch also knowingly ignore cases of sexual assault and harassment? It's it's like a boycott can hurt more people than the intended the intended targets, right? It'll mainly hurt everyone that's not the intended target. Yeah, usually. But now now my Alamo Draft House past thing rewards card things never going to get used <laughs> not that i've been using it anyway because unfortunately they're kind of expensive do you think uh draft house is expensive well i don't live in montana so yes dude 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 i'm just talking about like um in comparison i don't know if they've changed prices since i moved but it's only been approximately a year so I remember them having equivalent pricing to most of the other theaters around town. Oh, I also have to preface this with, I only go to movies on Saturday and or Sunday morning, so it's $5 tickets. Oh, okay, okay. So you're doing the matinee, and yeah, that that could be different. That's a fair point. If you do Tuesdays, which I don't know how viable it is for you, they also do like the $5 Tuesdays or whatever, and those are pretty pretty legit. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But those anyway, are usually full of full of young people, and it's annoying. Not to uh, derail the. I I don't want to derail the Kanye talk any further. But um, you know, but yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm grappling and coming to terms with uh, one of my favorite artists and musicians. Like always, obviously being arrogant and annoying, and sometimes an asshole, and and plenty of other you know negative adjectives, but also being like a truly phenomenal and masterful like artist and performer. I don't um, know. His latest stuff hasn't really been touching me. Yeah, and that's totally fair. It's uh it's it kind of follows up with my thoughts too that like the Kanye West that wrote uh late registration and uh like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is very different and separated kind of from the Kanye West that we see and hear now. Um, from the and that's life tough. of Pablo. 
Yeah, and I loved uh, the life of Pablo. I know it's like a, an erratic, almost schizophrenic album, and it's it's just kind of weird and choppy. But there's it's got a special place in my heart for most stuff. Like I like the experimental nature of it, and I used to hate Yeezy, and I appreciate it a lot more now with a lot more listening and kind of uh, I guess deep dives on it. But uh, long story short, for those who aren't in the loop, Kanye's uh, I don't even know how relevant it is for the podcast. But anyway, it's important to the two of us. And Neil doesn't give a shit. So (laughs) it has three reasons to be on the podcast right now. Um, (laughs) Kanye is uh, ultimately going like hard right conservative in a a lot of his speech. And um, with the black community being... And I don't know if i should feel comfortable talking about this when you're probably a better voice for it cookie but you know he's like really disappointing a lot of people uh with the messages that he used to provide and kind of the train of thought that we thought was intrinsic to kanye by taking a really intense swing into uh like political and social opinions that seem contradictory to what he once had and what probably a large number of his fan base has. And what's also really disturbing, I think, for a lot of people is the fact that he's just becoming another figurehead that like, sometimes hateful and damaging ideology can be attached to. Like, Since Kanye is really appreciated by you know, a uh, more progressive and... Uh, like diverse community the fact that he is um really kind of leaning in on some people and some realms of thought that are harmful to a large number of people in those demographics it's it's startling and upsetting and so i i guess that's where like a lot of people are at emotionally right now and um it's about all i can say about the topic currently and if you want to know more there's a great snl skit with Childish Gambino. Yeah. And if you want to know more about Kanye's position on it, you can listen to him get bodied in Ye versus the People. Ooh, that'd be fun. But um, so speaking of Childish Gambino being on SNL. His also, new music video? His new music video, the fact that he retired and then came back this weekend with just newness. Yeah. Life. Life is life is doing things now to me. This weekend has been has has been has been a lot. Uh so Childish Gambino's new music video My America? This America. This, this is America. America. This is America. My first thought while watching the first like the first controversial thing that happened on that video was, oh, this must be in reference to what the hell Kanye just did this week. So I stopped watching it, and then I let me and Lizzie watch it together. And then it was like, oh, no, this is definitely about gun control and gun violence in the in the world right now. I like it. Yeah. Did you did you happen to happen upon it? Yeah, the the warehouse and just kind of his like. It's got really good imagery. Um, and also there's something really uh, both like. I don't know. There's there's something really entertaining too about Childish Gambino 
being like shirtless with a nice pair of pants on in the whole thing. Like he has this pseudo like I don't know like like street and preppy swag with like the the nice slacks and loafers and then shirtless with the chain and the more wild urn style uh like beard and hair going on. Like he's he's doing a lot of juxtaposing in the video between both the imagery of like all the background scenes that's going on and his own like uh outfit and kind of uh actions in in the uh music video. Yep, and I was actually I was really excited that this was in a warehouse because it reminded me of the first video I saw by him, Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. And then as he was, as the video ends, he's running away from a bunch of people. And that just makes me think of, oh yeah, and this is kind of where Bonfire can pick up. See, I don't have, unfortunately, I don't actually have much background on the... uh on his music videos? It's on okay. his videos, yeah. Th- I just really was lucky enough to kind of uh, stumble upon this one earlier today, actually. I think everyone stumbled upon it earlier today. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, we can say um, it's a weird, weird week for uh, hip-hop culture. Especially this is, um, considering this is the Berkshire Hathaway weekend. Yeah. Ooh, look at you in your, what you call it. So, yes, this was the Berkshire Hathaway weekend. So, Cookie, being a stockbroker and everything, decided that, you know, I should probably go for this. Go go to these types of things, right? So, yeah, I went to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting with Lizzie yesterday. Uh, we had tickets just for Saturday. And it's all right. It was kind of interesting, kind of watching all the rich people walk around hearing all the people talk about how to make money really fast and you know jerky rich people also being around i mean and then we went to you say that but at the same time you also have people like my stepdad there in jean shorts and a trucker hat pretty much yeah it's very um it's very jarring to see like because me and Lizzie were both like, okay, so what should we wear? And I was like, you know what's going to be just perfect? Like business casual. Because I've heard there are some people that are going to be very, why are you here? And there are also going to be some people in full fucking six-piece suits. What, Let's just what be somewhere in the middle. What constitutes a six-piece suit? Or do you just have double coat, double vest, double pants? Nah, you, the, you're thinking piece of... it out. Six-piece suit, you'd have... The coat, pants, the coat, pants, vest, and pants. Vest. vest. I need cumberbund. A monocle. You, you also have the cummerbund with the vest. <laughs> Underneath the vest. Okay, that's four. I need a monocle. Five. Give me a top hat. Um, okay. Yeah, or you could do gloves and cane to fill in the cummerbund uh, monocle. But then you're almost a magician. Um, and, and so your your like ranking visually in society to, like goes down again. Um, Ooh, is he very rich or is he a magician? Anything else exciting about the Berkshire meeting? Um, we ended up going to Nebraska Furniture Mart and seeing all the fancy things that was at the Berkshire meeting. So like, there's this new fancy lawnmower that cuts your grass for you. It's like a Roomba, but for outside. It's $3,500, so no, we're not getting that. But we ended up getting some um, some new furniture. 
But yeah, Berkshire meeting. Lots of white people. Lots of people talking about making money, having money, being rich, and ho, ho, ho. You know how it is. Oh, I do. But yeah, besides that, Berkshire meeting is a thing that I'm not really excited that I went once, and I think I'll never go again. Gotcha. Do you have anything, Neil, that you want to get into? Uh, not really. Okay, perfect. Then I think we should move on and from talking about rich white people to rich white um, half-cat people and my completion of Nino Cooney 2. Red Wait, you completed it? What'd you say? I beat it. I did beat it. Proud Before you. you begin, I'm curious, uh, are you going to be going into spoilers? Um, I want to keep, if there's any spoilers at all, like super light and ambiguous because I know you want to play it. Um, I mostly just want to talk about the game's experience as a whole and kind of um, some interesting things I noticed about the end game that give you no indication as to what the end game actually is, story-wise. How you feeling about that, Neil? Take it from here, Scott. Okay, so to keep it um, an available game for you to play, in which I've spoiled very little um, about the game, not counting the previous times I've talked about it on the podcast, um, Nino Kuni 2 was a really wonderful game that mixed both like live action RPG elements with also sort of a base building um, micromanagement and uh, side quest heavy video game. It had, you know, beautiful art and orchestration as I had already talked about and a relatively enjoyable storyline for the whole uh, duration of the game. And it took me about 40 hours to beat and that was playing the game in a way that uh, was a little, like, uh, I accepted a lot of risk in how I played the game near the later end of it because I ultimately didn't want to grind or do too many more side quests because I need to play some other games for the podcast before I only speak about Nino Kuni for, like, two months straight. So... um you guys have played games like Borderlands or uh, there are plenty of other games in which when you face an enemy that the game realizes is sort of numerically out of your reach or a little challenging, they get like highlighted with yellow or orange, right? And then uh, enemies that are meant to just straight up like destroy you in a couple hits are like red and the closer you get to like black red, the more lethal they become or impossible of a challenge. I guess yeah. so. Yes. I mean, are you familiar with it, Neil? I thought it yeah, might yeah, be a JRPG yeah. thing. Okay. Um, so Nino Kuni makes good use of this, and uh, I have found that you probably have to complete a majority of the side quests if you're not going to be encountering this late game, or you have a lot of grinding to do, because the last maybe 10 hours of the game, I more or less was fighting against orange and red enemies the entire time, and for the boss fights... I was probably under-leveled by about uh, 15 to 20 levels for the last couple fights. And therefore, it made them very challenging and um, gave me a little bit more of the insurmountable uh, pressure of some like Dark Souls fights, especially since um, 
this is a game in which I heavily rely upon uh, reading enemy tells and doing a lot of like dodge rolling because that's the best way. I think it's the best way to play with higher difficulty. And there are even um, some things that you can do with your tactic tweaker, which you get super early in the game in which you can increase things like your uh, heavy attack damage. Or in my case, I invested heavily into increasing the invincibility frames in my dodge rolls. Anyway, what I wanted to say about the end game is not only is it um, a good continuation of kind of small twists on the storyline and how things go, uh, it also is really, really generous in the opportunities it gives you to continue playing the side quests and other kind of uh, like base building and um, party growth in the game before you take these final challenges. It alerts you before you hit most areas in which you won't have uh, kind of freeform control about where you're going in the game. And um, it also kind of gives you a heads up whenever you're going to something that will ultimately change the landscape of the game at like multiple opportunities. And it does so by giving you... Uh, helpful little pop-ups before you engage with certain characters to progress the storyline forward. Does it basically say, save now, please, save now, or you can't come back? Uh, it's, it's sort of like, for some of them, it's like, you won't have an opportunity to play freely for a while. Um, is this okay? And then, you know, you have the yes-no option. But then later, it's like, this is... You know, like this will be the ultimate conclusion, or like this is the end of the game and things will be kind of irreversible at this point. Though it does have a uh, like new game plus or continued new game option after you beat it, which is uh, nice for anyone who's playing it to know that you can beat the end of the game and then it's not the end of your play with that file. Um, so they're very clear about kind of what the consequences of moving the story forward at the later stages actually does for the game. And I just really appreciated that, even though I knew I was going to rush through it, um, really no matter what it the result was, uh, what the consequences were of moving forward for my gameplay overall, um, I thought it was very convenient because there are other games I've played in which I've moved too far forward and ended up missing out on opportunities that I meant to take advantage of before really continuing. And uh, Neil, if you buy this game, you're, you're going to like it a lot. I think you'll really enjoy it. I had a great time with it. I think Neil owns this game. I don't yet. I was he planning on yet. buying it, okay. but I saw it was still at full price, so I might just wait until... Uh, yeah, just pick it up it on a sale. Showed. It's an excellent game, and I don't think it's going to age um, very rapidly at all. Like, this will still be a really enjoyable or awesome game to pick up in a year or two if you catch a really good deal on it. So it's worth sleeping on. There's so much content and whatnot that you'll be able to kind of get into it and play it probably at any time. It's the same way I felt about and still feel about Metal Gear Solid Five. Like, that game's pretty old now. We're talking three, four years almost, and... When I bought it and picked it up, it was uh, just as good as buying it like day of release, in my opinion. Nice. And so what, I guess I'll be... Yeah, go ahead. What's this Trackmania all about? 
so I have been playing Trackmania. The it's kind of like a arcade racer where most of the races are they're short sprints, so about thirty second races. And it's got this wonderful leaderboard. Right now I am ranked oh god, I think it's like three hundred and ninety second in all of Nebraska. So to break it down by the state you live in, uh, the per track and per like overall ranking, state, nation, and world. My world ranking is like ridiculously high. That's but, really cool that they let you uh, condense it all the way down to state. Mm-hmm. So it's like Trackmania. I found out about it by watching this YouTube video where this guy was talking about push forward maps or like maps that people you can they have this map editor. So people have made maps to where all you literally do is drive straight and the map will do the driving for you. So to make you like do barrel rolls and turn you in crazy directions and do all these fun things. And I was like, oh, that seems like an interesting game. That was a PlayStation Plus game that was free last month. I'm going to go ahead and give this a try. It is. It's a nice change of pace from like the normal game where you've got to sit down and dedicate like an hour to it or dedicate thirty minutes to it. Quite literally, it's be like, I want to hit, I want to hit a race tracker, a race or two. A circle in the middle of a race will instantly restart it. No load screen that you have to wait for. Just going straight down to timers. And there is a mode on it that I really want to try. It's um basically two players one car but i don't know how it's implemented i haven't had a chance to have lizzie jump on it with me but it looks interesting but yeah trackmania it is a quick arcade racing game i played it both in vr because it's uh, got playstation vr support with its own unique levels and i will honestly say some of these levels genuinely put a smile on my face while doing them in VR. It's like, cause I was doing like this barrel roll and some crazy ass shit and the drifts and wall rides. It's wonderful. If you have an opportunity, check out like push forward maps on YouTube for track mania. I'll have to do that. So I'm curious, is it uh since this is on the PlayStation VR, uh, going back to the PlayStation VR in general, how does that feel after using the Rift on, or excuse me, the uh, the Vive on a more consistent basis? So, I definitely know what people are talking about now when they say screen door effect. Because, like, if you go from, if the PlayStation VR is the only thing you've ever seen, you don't really know what they're talking about with screen door effect. Then once you go to the Vive, you're like, okay, this looks much better. Then after playing the Vive for a while, if you go back to PlayStation VR, then you're like, ah, this is what they're talking about, that slight pixel haze that's going on around me. See, that, so That's interesting because I've heard people say the opposite, that the Vive and uh, Oculus have more of a screen door effect. Ooh, maybe. Maybe I still don't know what a screen door effect is. <laughs> so... I mean, but but there's uh, there is a noticeable difference in quality. The the vibe looking clearer than the PSVR, right? That is correct. Nine hundred times out of ten. But um, yeah. So Trackmania on the PlayStation VR, 
it played smoothly. I ended up doing one level like eight or nine times because I was trying to like master it. Basically, they give you the uh, golds. They give you like bronze, silver, gold medals, and a master level. So on one of the PlayStation VR levels, I am ranked like tenth in the nation and number one in Nebraska. But after doing that level about eight, about eight or nine times, I was starting to feel nauseous. <laughs> so, so the motion sickness is still there a little bit, but it's not nearly as noticeable on the PlayStation VR as I used to think it was. So I'm guessing they've gotten the um, the things down to where they've optimized it a lot better. Have you ever? Uh used a fan in the room with you when you're playing vr i have not i think it was you that mentioned that though right yeah maybe i i've i've heard it like on a somewhat consistent basis that putting a fan on yourself uh usually helps with the that nausea to some extent the the price of the why i ask is because the price of the psvr has dropped considerably where the first generation units are now less than $200. Uh, the only problem is that I don't think there are that many games I'm personally interested in on the PlayStation. So. That'll definitely keep you from getting it. And I'm actually become much bigger proponent of why would you get something if you're not going to play the games on it? Right, Exactly. But there Neither. are ways to tie it to your computer and use Rift and uh, or Oculus and Vive games on it. But it gets a little complicated, I guess. Too much work. Exactly. Well, have you been playing anything else, Cookie? Yeah, the usual stuff. Uh, still doing... I've beaten the first area of Far Cry 5... And still just, you know, hitting with the normal Call of Duty. The normal Call of Duty. Did you say the first area in Far Cry 5? Yes. So does... So... My understanding of Far Cry 5 is that you can tackle... I think there are like three bosses before the final boss, and you can tackle them in any order. Is it a, like, prologue area before that? So there's the, like, tutorial area, then it opens up the entire world for the three bosses. Right. One of the bosses actively has like a hostage who was on your team before everything went to shit. Gotcha. So it kind of emphasizes go after this person first or or forsake that hostage pretty much. So and I you must have liked them enough the... to to bother. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I saved your life cuz like I mean why not, right? Pretty much. So it's like, okay, I will do this area, and now I think, so I end up doing like, usually if you play a Ubisoft game where they open up a map, there's take down the big boss, there's the there's the enforcer section, so that's going to be where your like main army people are, the tough guys, there's the, there's the section that is the media guy who controls like how the media sees that person that you're doing. And then there's the, like the whole trippy drug aspect one. First dude you take out, it's like the media guy. He's the face. So I think, 
since I've heard that the druggy place is like the most interesting one, then I'm going to go up to the north area and take out the enforcers and then go drug, go full on Blake's Creek drugs. Going to do some of that northwestern peyote? Pretty much. That is the plan. But yeah, that's, um, that's kind of where I'm, kind of where I'm at video game wise. So, Talk about the same usual things. Well, I have know you, Neil's uh, been have you stopped playing Monster Hunter World? Actually, we jumped on Monster Hunter World a couple of days ago. I now have the Dante outfit. The Devil May Cry crossover event is going on right now. I heard his boots are uh, pretty fantastic. They're made for walking. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but the boots have some sort of attribute that now make them uh like the med like the meta item so to speak well now i've got to go back and look at the actual bonuses it gives me I, Since I don't you have to wear the entire enough. set at once it's like well i'm either wearing the dante skin or i'm not wearing the dante skin i i don't think you need to it's okay oh i'm not going to do it now no. <laughs> so uh I was kind of wondering how I would, or which games I would bring up in what order, since I've been able to get a little more time playing games in this week. Yeah, you look like you've had an awesome week. Yeah, at a sacrifice of not watching as much anime and so on, uh, or reading manga for that matter. But I want to start with the odd and weird and maybe even ugly and go to, I guess, like the better experiences. Uh, The first game i was playing this week in in that order would be the silver case which is a grasshopper manufacturer developed game i.e suda 51 and it's it's a game like the silver case that kind of reminds me that suda is for lack of a better phrase fucking weird and when people talk about suda going back to like his roots I'm pretty sure they're thinking like the silver case and killer seven because when you look at uh, no more heroes, there is like a tangible storyline and, and, and a narrative that even though it's a little weird, same with killer is dead. Things ultimately make enough sense and it's like a cohesive story. But when I play the silver case, I get, I'm reminded way more of Killer Seven in terms of these odd and vague interpretations and themes and like a storyline that at times makes you wonder like, am I missing something or is something weird? Uh and in in the case for the silver case, the story is certainly intriguing, but I I'm honestly not holding my breath because I believe I've already figured out what the twist is going to be, and I'm pretty sure the twist is one of those super cliche uh mistake like cases of mistaken identity is what we'll say and leave it from there don't want to get into spoilers in case you guys are ever curious enough to play this game i would probably pass but for cookie's sake we can leave it in the dark and I and I would I'll say with, with good reason because this game controls very strangely too. They use something that they call the film window, which is the system that is more or less justifying the use of only like one third of your screen for something that actually has any purpose. 
So yeah, I, I watched a video of this and it looks like your movement is just absolute garbage. Yeah. And and the PC version, this remaster, since I'm not playing the original, mind you, I'm playing this on Steam. I do have the benefit of having a lot of shortcut keys, but it's just kind of strange considering like, okay, I need to hit the M key to then go into movement mode. And now I can use W to go forward, A and D to turn left and right respectively, and S to turn around. So there's no strafing or anything, which like, you know, that that's something that you can do in, you know, even some of the oldest dungeon crawlers, in, maybe in not Doom. the oldest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and it's not free movement either. It's basically like you have uh, it, it's similar to like v, uh, certain VR games where you have checkpoints or, or or nodes on the map that you can walk to uh, or teleport to, if you will. Uh, in this case, you you see the the walking motion between the two points. But so if there's a hallway, I might have three nodes: one at the the start of the hallway, one in the middle of the hallway, and one at the end of the hallway. And there's usually always a node to uh, to place you in a position if there's something interesting. But otherwise, if there's nothing in the middle of that hallway, it might just be a node at the start and end of the hallway. So it kind of does take out some of the exploration uh, from or potential exploration from this game because you're never really left wondering where something's going to be. Uh, although they do find some good moments to actually hide the... Uh, hide some little surprises from you. Like at one point you're inside of a mall and you can look up and down, which use the Q and E keys. Uh, and you're, you're trying to, you're trying to find like your next objective or like the next thing that has to happen in order for the game to progress. And you suddenly realize as you're walking around that there's a shadow on the ground, uh, uh like a body, shadow on the ground so you look down and it's like oh that's clearly a figure you look up it's a glass roof and a body falls on top of you from there and i after that i was like okay that was pretty good uh but overall it's still this whole movement system is actually a big detriment because characters do not appear in this 3d space in this film window instead you only see portraits on the screen and that's supposed to serve as your symbol that they are actually in the spot you're looking at. So if I'm looking in this hallway at one side of the uh, room or wall, hallway, whatever, like the left wall of the, this hallway, I'll have these portraits here. That basically symbolizes that like while you don't actually see them in this 3D space, that these characters are actually standing there. And it was it was kind of... It's never really explained. So the first portion of the game where you're basically trying to find this armed murderer, uh, you you have these portraits, and I'm assuming that with these portraits here, that's just because we're on radio com. And so it's like, oh, I can talk to these guys, but it it really didn't occur to me until like an hour later, like, oh, that meant those three guys or two guys were with me at that same point. And as soon as I started moving and their portraits disappeared, it's not because I lost communication with them. It's that they were no longer physically with me. And, and for that reason, too, it's almost like if I treated this game more as like a text-based, uh, a text-based game as opposed to... And treated the, the, the UI more as just like uh, a way to better control the map, I guess, I w- would maybe enjoy it a little more. But like it's that weird blur between... 
being a full text-based game and a graphical game that I think really do some harm to the silver case as a whole. At the same time, I kind of want to suggest that if you're into super weird shit, you should maybe check it out because there's just wait for it to go on sale because there, there is some weird stuff going on that makes me feel like, uh, the main character is mentally disturbed in in a way that like, I guess would justify some of these weird, uh, mechanical issues I have with the game. Is this a game that Hideo Kojima would enjoy? You know, probably. In fact, okay. that's a really good answer for me then. Going away from some of the weirdness and going into maybe a little bit of uh, the... Is the word jank offensive? Not to me. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's actually like some sort of racial slur that I'm not familiar with. But going into the jank, we'll say, uh, Tiffany and I got to play some time a little bit into Stardew Valley's multiplayer beta, which is available to everyone. You just have to sign up for it off of their website. They'll give you a code that you can then activate on Steam. What makes the beta weird, or this multiplayer uh, version weird, is that it kind of brings to light a lot of the system and core fundamentals of Stardew Valley and how they don't always work well when you imagine it as a two-player, three-, four-player game. And it seems like you can actually have quite a few people in one game or instance occurrence uh, because you can actually start out with multiple cabins as they call them available uh, for your friends or you can all live in one house there's a bunch of different options it's weird because if you are going into like a if you're it, it, it's just certain things aren't really taken into consideration when you implement multiplayer like if you're in cutscenes, i believe time still passes normally so if you're really actually taking your time to read through different story events or anything real time is still passing in the background so you could, you could go into an event which would otherwise pause time in single player and end the event with hours passed afterwards uh in addition to that there's also <clears throat> The game also seems to have a shared wallet system so far, and I'm not sure if there's any way to change that. But if Tiffany and I were playing, whatever she farms and harvests and sells and whatnot also goes to my available funds. So we, we share we share the money through and through. And I think So how does this speak to your relationship and having a shared bank account? Well it really <laughs> had an effect us affected us from what we've played, but I wonder if that makes it an issue for people that don't necessarily want to work on one conglomerate farm and instead want to section out portions of the farm themselves because right then it's a little competition for who uses what's in the coin purse first exactly and it's like i want to i just want to farm vegetables but joe wants to just do ranch animals and you know, I could find that suddenly all of these chickens are now inhabiting the coop and now I don't have any money to buy seats, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious if, of whether or not that's something that they'll look into implementing down the road because now that I look at it, multiplayer in Stardew Valley must have taken a lot of re, like a lot of rewriting in order to actually get it to work properly. Uh, but it, it really does certainly feel like there are now multiple single player instances in one game cooperatively. And, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. There are some issues and we've had some game crashes as well for that matter. 
uh, where it just seems like when you talk to certain people, if they're in certain animations or you talk to people in certain rooms that some of the dialogue is bugged or whatever the case may be, and it will just destroy, destroy it. It'll just crash your game. Um, but again, it's a beta, so that's to be expected, I guess. Now, that aside, I started playing a game that I picked up a few months ago off of a Humble Bundle, and I am so happy I picked it up and so sad I did not start playing it when it came out a couple years ago, uh, or maybe just a year ago, I don't recall. But the game's called Hacknet. And in this particular game, it mix it's a, like a mixture of of uh i guess you could just say like dos prompts or dos commands and a very simplified approach to hacking so you open up the game and basically just as if like in the story it seems like you are just a person that has stumbled upon this computer and when you open it up it comes up with essentially a uh a will if you will uh, a test. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, it, it's basically a message from someone saying that, like, hey, if you're reading this, then I'm probably dead. I've got some things I want you to do for me, and that involves basically going in, learning how to hack, quote unquote, uh, clearing out some log files from him that he's left behind, and uh, then just getting into it, joining a hacker group, and uh, hacking shit, stealing information. If because that's that's what it is even though it seems like you're one of the quote-unquote good guys also counter hack in some cases all the while you're also trying to figure out what has happened to the first person or the person that you uh that you apparently get this computer from or whatever and as i was playing through it today i just i I actually started it just uh around one or two o'clock today I realized I had something really special when I hit an unexpected point where suddenly another character was starting to hack my system and crashed it. And so I'm presented with the blue screen of death. And since I'm playing in full screen mode, like obviously I was pretty sure it was the game, (laughs) but then it It still gives you stress even when you think it's the game, right? Exactly. And then it boots up into a DOS prompt and that's when I really knew I had something special because like it took me a couple minutes, but I suddenly realized, Oh, I can actually, even though I'm in DOS now, I can just go in and figure out like what this guy did to my system that basically forced my system to crash and be unable to opt the, like open back up into the regular OS. Uh, and I, yeah, just, just like that moment and trying to figure out what to do from there was I, I think the moment that made me feel like this game was something special. I'm I'm excited to see what what comes up next, and you should really get it. Uh, it's usually on sale for something like five bucks or less in some cases. And yes, like I I, I apologize, I do kind of spoil one of the first big things that happens, but it's still totally worth it. Uh, it's also really great looking into these different uh, servers and different different computers and looking up a lot of their IRC chat logs. Uh, there's a lot of like inside jokes and a lot of like nerd culture going on. Um, like one example, which is of no consequence, is there's a chat log where someone comes in named Spartacus and then they change their name. And then one of the other chat, uh, one of the people in chat says, who's Spartacus? I saw that. Spartacus, you know, Spartacus logged in, and then everyone else else in the chat room started saying, "I'm Spartacus." No, I'm Spartacus. But. So, uh, just to like 
give you a heads up because I don't know if you've actually seen the trailer for Hacknet or not, but in the game trailer, all the things that you talked about appear in it. So if you're to even look up the game, you really haven't spoiled anything that isn't already demonstrated in like the very beginning of that trailer. So I, I never did look up the trailer. Now, now I kind of have to watch it. Yeah, uh, now you should. Um, this looks super cool. Like this is very interesting to me as someone who's kind of like very interested and infatuated by computer science at times. Um, it seems like a much more accessible way for me to get into this as opposed to like reading um, a bunch of information that is, you know, on like Stack Overflow or looking at stuff on GitHub. Um, it seems like hands-on and fun, but at the same time, it's also in some ways, you know, obviously an inconsequential delving into the actual art of uh, working with uh, like what real what real hacking would be like. Because I see in uh, quite a few articles, it is uh, like quote-unquote real hacking in there. Um, that's super cool. I'm curious as to how real it is. Yeah, I mean, I have no background on it, so I wouldn't know. Uh, do you know how far you are into it at this point? I don't. I, so so I just watched the trailer where you were talking to, and the, right. yeah, the point where you go blue screen, uh, I'm quite a few jobs or past that. And actually, there's a great KFC reference, or CFC. I, I remember doing that, too, and what you're doing is actually f- looking up the secret recipe. <laughs> You're, you have to hack into their databases to figure out exactly how, like, what the recipe is. And it's literally just a job that you're using to get into another, like, group of hackers, I guess you could say. Or uh, there's a better term for that. But, um, but yeah, I, I even noticed on that, on that KFC bit, the, uh, the person apparently, or the, you know, the supposed player in the trailer even actually changed the font that was displaying on their website which now that i think about it you definitely could do but i just didn't even think that that would be a thing you could you could do in this it's impressive to like to the detail what you are capable of in hacknet and well i i thought i saw something that the game actually implements real commands from uh what system from from unix and so um yeah that that it, would make it sense. could be that if if yeah if you're familiar with that particular um set of commands like you could have a lot more freedom and creativity within the game that like an amateur or someone who doesn't know that already would not have which is kind of cool like i guess you could 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 you consider that a difficulty curve in a sense or like, uh, what is it? A skill curve? Oh, I certainly think so. Uh, be like you, you'll get to certain com- terminals that will not terminals, rather, but servers and computers that have a built-in tracer, and it like by triggering the tracer, you you know have only X seconds before you uh, you get traced. So you have to finish your job in that long. But if you're fast enough and uh, efficient enough with your workflow that still gives you more than enough time to go in and dig through chat logs and look for the stupid jokes and stuff from there uh i i think it like the game is only as difficult as you make it out to be with with a certain extent like you you still have the initial learning curve that you have to get past that just allows you to be 
decent at the game, like understanding things like, oh, if I'm going to run an FTP exploit, I should probably look up what the ports are and see what the port FTP is before I try and open that port. It, it It's stuff like that where like I feel as if anyone that hasn't at least worked with DOS before would just be completely lost on. Uh, but that like the tutorial is actually super helpful and there is uh, a pretty decent help uh, message that allows you to kind of go through most of your basic commands. So I, I don't think, I don't think it'd be like unreachable to anyone that just, excuse me, unreachable for, you know, like a person that was born say 10 years ago to, uh, to play it once they were old enough to, kind of understand a bit of like how i guess commands work it, yeah I, i'm hmm. now i'm second guessing myself at like how accessible this game is because i i'm assuming i probably have more experience and exposure to things to like command prompts than the typical person but just by the nature of me talking about it i already know i'm like no expert in this field or even close to one way to call yourself better than us normies <laughs> like cookie you've done some uh some scripting before right oh yeah i'll do um basic html a little bit of java some c plus plus and yeah so yes, i have used th- this the is DOS this would be super easy for you to pick up i think super easy i keep using the word super terraria uh just to really cap off like this will probably be the last time i talk about terraria but i kind of realized exactly what was so charming about this game to me it's not like the core fundamentals of the game it's not about the different types of materials and stuff it's not the survival resource gathering aspect of it it's the grunts when you get damaged oh god it (laughs) 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 oh man i love them i think they're so funny it's the really extra or uh the frivolous details that they've added to it the weird dialogue you pick up from different characters and how how the different people i'm assuming it's based upon what their occupation seem to have slightly different personalities and it's the strangeness behind finding a voodoo doll of your i'll call them townies at random places and actually finding out that if the voodoo doll happens to be destroyed, that person also happens to die. It's, uh, it's the ability to actually meet and save people when you're in dungeons and build them rooms in your base and actually assign them to those rooms. Um, and you, you brought, you brought up base building in Nino Kuni too. And that like the base building is kind of a trigger word for me because it could be really not like I'm triggered, but it's a, it's a word that catches my attention because it could be something that really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. What, what's been great with Terraria and I've actually maybe enjoyed it more than anything else is trying to come up with a design for each of the characters. Like there's a tavern keeper. So trying to build a bar or pub like setting and trying to figure out ways that make sense in a 2d cross section, uh, pain or plane rather that would allow all of these different characters rooms to be connected together to this tavern or to some other great room. Um, and some weird, like a giant block with smaller block rooms with chairs and a bed for each person. 
I mean, and going beyond that too, like there are some characters that I'm just like, I don't know what you want. Like you're a kid that I met at the beach and you want me to do something and I don't remember what it is. So I'm just going to give you a chair. That you at least like bump into characters because I swear like I meet maybe two or three characters and I played that game for like a hundred hours and I don't know why it's so hard for me to bump into people. I'm too busy just digging straight down. And I think that that maybe is part of it. Like Minecraft doesn't really have a direction for you to go. Like there is some end game content, like going to the Ender Dragon and uh, going to basically hell. I, I don't remember mm-hmm. what it is, but using those portals. Yeah. But Terraria seems to do at least a slightly better job of pointing you into a direction to go and explore and kind of teasing you with enemies that are way too strong like having an old man in a weird temple and if you talk to him you basically spawn a boss that destroys you sorry oh i i know exactly what you're talking about i was just uh agreeing you get the shit slapped out of you by a skeleton as soon as you realize who you're dealing with exactly and it's it, it's been a good experience. I definitely would say that if there are any naysayers out there that look at Terraria and say, man, these graphics are shit. I was you once. And you can actually zoom in, even though it's not very good. Uh, Have you <laughs> messed with the, uh, I, I think it's the aspect ratio for that game or whatever? Uh, you can You can play it on multiple screen sizes. And it's like a really, I think it's a really fun experience when you've got it full screen out to the whole monitor. Like, it's a huge snapshot of any area that you're in if you have good lighting. So I'm I'm playing an exclusively full screen, but I do tend okay. to have the game zoom itself. Okay. Up a yeah, bit. I've I've played it. Yeah, I've played it where it's yeah, it's panned out or like zoomed out quite a bit. So my character is actually quite small on the screen. And that that's actually what turned me off from it initially is just like, man, my character's so small, it's so fucking hard to click things. But yeah. if if I zoom into like 120 or 125, like it makes me feel less shitty about being able to click specific blocks or I, it, I'm basically able to. Uh, it makes me paranoid dealing with enemies, though, because then it feels really claustrophobic, especially especially when you hear um, like the of those worms digging through the dirt or something like oh. I want a heads up warning of where they're coming from. That Yeah, that is true. That is true. I don't know if they were around back then, but I just discovered that if you have a good yo-yo, you can basically kill anything. Yo-yo's been around for a while. I uh, I think it's been around for quite a while with that game. So, But that about does it for my weekend games, with a few other exceptions of some old games I've been playing. Uh, let's talk a bit about some recent events in the gaming world. First up, have you guys watched any of the Red Dead Redemption 2 trailers? I am on a media blackout for the Red Dead Redemption 2 trailers. And I'm on a Red Dead Redemption 2 blackout because (laughs) I didn't play the first one. And I haven't played... I haven't played Grand Theft Auto since GTA 4. So I'm probably also not going to get this game either. Oh man, you should definitely play GTA 5. I hear great things about it, but I don't know. I just... I ruin every GTA experience by ultimately buckling and putting in a cheat code and then never being able to like go back and then i just go down the whole cheat code like 
hole of just exploiting every code possible. It's it's really hard for me. And just to make no, sure, Cookie, perfect. you're talking about five as in the single player experience, right? Yeah, actually, he can play GTA Five online with me, and I'll I'll join you online. Can you play the single player mode online? No. Oh man, that would be fucking fun if one of us could be Franklin, one could be Michael, one could be homicidal maniac Trevor. Trevor, right? Yep. Nope. You just kind of go online with your character that you don't really create, but you kind of create by creating your mom and your dad. <laughs> That's which, interesting. Which yeah. So they it's... just they take the features of your mom and your dad and they kind of like scramble them. Pretty much. That's actually a really interesting way to do it. It's weird. And then, and then you're then you're just in a world full of CEOs and mob bosses and biker gangs and Fast whatever cars. whatever happens to be going on at the moment. All but of which only just player versus player killing. Just yeah, player killing. All of which, like every character, player character in that game happened to also be mute like yourself. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Just I mean, that's Dark Souls for you, except for very good. Hello, and hello. <laughs> well, guys, Remedy Entertainment, the developers of Quantum Break and Alan Wake, will reveal their next project, codenamed P Seven, at E three. Do you guys care about either of those games? Ooh, Persona Seven. Yes, P Seven. It's going to be multiplayer, cooperative. Nice. I haven't played Quantum Break, and I played Alan Wake late enough uh, after it had been released that it felt a little clunky and graphically behind, um, and so I, I kind of dropped it pretty early. I'll, uh, I I'll didn't tell play you either of these because Xbox. Why? I will tell you for the record, Alan Wake was always kind of clunky and kind of bad looking. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel really good, actually. All right, then that aside, a company I think we can all care about, or at least Scott and, Scott and me, Platinum yes. Games could be making waves in the mobile market with their new game, World of Demons, a samurai action RPG that combines traditional Japanese calligraphy-inspired styles that one could associate to games like Okami and the extensive folklore of Japanese mythology. Scott, how much would you pay for this game on your phone? I don't really play phone games, but I'm trying to think of if I've actually bought any games for my phone. I mean, you you did play Fire Emblem Go or whatever, right? Yeah, Fire Emblem Heroes. I played that for quite a while, actually. I got... um, And that is true. I had that, and actually with my old iPhone, I had a couple of games on there back in the day. Um, But just looking at like the announcement trailer for this... It looks really cool, honestly. Um, if it is one where I have to pay, say, $5 or less, I might actually be willing to give a mobile game a try. Um, but I would really like it if they have like a free demo version that I could try out beforehand. But Platinum makes great combat games. It looks beautiful. I hope it's intuitive enough. Um, for gameplay. What about you, Neil? You have a you have a new uh you have a new phone that actually works, right? Yeah, I've got a new used phone. Nice. 
Yeah, what about you? Are you considering getting a, a game on your phone? I'm I still... guess the reason that I'm always hesitant is like my battery is starting to have have a harder time. So I don't I don't like anything that'll drain my battery really heavily. And and games definitely do that. Is your phone like is it possible for you to swap out your battery in your phone without taking it to a shop? Uh no, definitely not. I've got uh what I believe is a Galaxy S seven, which I really like the phone in general, but the battery life is just starting to take a bit of a dive recently. Um and I haven't been able to figure out why just yet. Well, you can't play this game anyway, Scott. Is it too intense for my phone specs? No, it's I only saw the Apple logo. Oh, it's only iOS. Okay. Well, no, it, that's fine. it's it's also Android. Oh, yep, there it is. Baby? Yeah. It says filed under Android. Yeah, that launch trailer only showed the um iOS symbol. Just like how there are games that are PS4 exclusives, but really there's an an Xbox One version of the game as well. And vice versa. Yeah, and there's Xbox exclusives that are also available on PS4 Mm -hmm. and PC. I would be more likely to pick this game up if they actually charged a front, like an upfront fee or like cost uh, yeah, I'm way more likely to pick up a mobile game uh, for a price if I pay for the price outright and get the whole game versus any sort of microtransactions built into it. I'm way more to pick up a mobile game if it's free. And that too, I guess. <laughs> the only thing that concerns me is that this is being made along with uh, DNA, the uh, mobile developer that was made famous for its partnership with Nintendo a couple of years ago. Uh, but they mm. more recently published Final Fantasy Record Keeper and Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, both of which, if I'm not mistaken, are free-to-play and gotcha purchases, with gotcha purchases. Yeah, uh, Fire Emblem Heroes, definitely a fun game, but also uh, probably very difficult to be super successful at without gambling with the... Uh, like in-game purchases. And maybe more serious news, according to reporting from the fine people of Motherboard at Vice, the FCC, or Federal Trade Commission, has sent notices to six companies, including Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, basically stating that their warranty language and stickers printed and placed on their various hardware is illegal, as they believe it violates the 1975 Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, which states no manufacturer charging more than $5 for a product may put repair restrictions on a device it's offering a warranty on. That's pretty nice news. Oh, uh, yeah. They only have like a week to pretty much take it off of everything. Apple nice. was not included in uh, those six companies. I wonder why. Money. They paid too much. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. I, I bet Tim Cook and, and Donald Trump, you know, had a little pinky swear on that one. <laughs> when they were out drinking martinis with the Koch brothers. And Kanye. Because now Kanye is just included in all of those now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, we've come full circle, baby. I didn't intend to, but here we are. Did you guys ever actually use any of the old uh, Nintendo uh, repair shops? I know that we actually had one in Omaha for a while 
out off of like Millard Avenue, I think. I didn't know those existed. Yeah, man. They were, I, I mean, we're talking like back in my Game Boy Color days, I was aware that there was one because we'd drive by pretty frequently. I lived in a neighborhood near there, but um, I never utilized one. They have, they had uh, like Mario with the wrench in his hands. That was their little logo. Which makes even more sense now with Mario Maker. Yeah, and being a plumber, I mean, he's a he's a uh, master of all trades, right? Not even a, a jack of all trades. Yep, except for plumbing, because he's not a plumber. But he knows how to slip through them pipes. What? What? Wait, I thought there was like a Gross. recent interview. Someone was saying that he's a plumber again or some bullshit. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I tend to not keep up on game news. Mario is a renaissance man. That's what he is. So did Mario just take a bunch of shrooms and then he, like, this is his coma dream. Like, he, he dreams about the brother he killed, which is, like, why Luigi keeps going in and out of existence, depending on what game you're playing. <laughs> and and uh, he has this fantasy of, like, a blonde princess he has to deal with Bowser, who's like a symbol of his addiction. And and Wario is his shitty cousin. Maybe Wario is himself, like in real life. Oh, oh no. That nice. would that'd be pretty sad. The harsh reality of the drug addict that he's become. This is an interesting twist. Well, this conversation is getting a little too meta for me. Yeah, we're kind of derailing. So, If you uh, have your own theories about the Mario world, you can write them in at podcast at fancyramen.com. Better yet, just keep thinking that Scott's the only black one on the podcast and give us a like, write a review on the Apple podcast. And to help me raise my street cred as apparently the only black guy on the podcast, please tell your friends all about me and my uh, two uh, ethnically bland co-hosts, Cookie and Neil. And um, I don't know, what is that all we got? Have a good week, everybody. Okay, bye.